Hello and welcome to the Keen on Things podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Keen, with the best 30 minutes of sleep and show business. I just tried to record this and I did about 10 minutes uh, without the mic plugged in to my computer. So I'm going over this again for the second time. I don't know, I might skip some stuff that just wasn't interesting. Uh, frustrating, right? So uh, it's been a couple weeks, I think. I was in uh, Columbia. I flew to Columbia on a red eye from L.A. that I thought was going to be nine hours, like Lima, Peru. I got on Lima, Peru flight years ago, thinking it was going to be six hours or something. It was like nine or 11, and I almost went nuts. Um, but this was only seven to Columbia. I think I was thinking Mexico City, Buenos Aires, which was that was kind of long and then very long. So I was thinking something like that. But it wasn't far. It was seven. It was uh, Boston and beyond, right? Two hours. Newfoundland is basically that. So I went Columbia, landed there, and then we hit JFK by ship. And then I was supposed to come home two Saturday nights ago. It was going to be great. I'd have Sunday all day to myself, get caught up on life, do the podcast. Uh, and then Delta said it was weather. And then the next day said it was someone not showing up, whatever. They canceled our flight after being on the runway for three hours. That's a law. Back to the terminal. Get out, and Delta will put you up for the night at a hotel. And had to wait another three hours in line to get a voucher, hotel room, food pass, and uh, cab fare. Those four things. They eventually told us, just book your own hotel room, and we'll reimburse you this week. That took three hours. I'm an amateur. I waited in line like an idiot, although I was on hold with Delta and doing Delta chat to get the new flight. So by the time I got to the front, my flight was taken care of. I just needed kind of hotel voucher, food voucher, and... Um, cab fare which you can get reimbursed for if and when that ever happens to you get out of dodge get out of the airport and just get a, get a hotel and reimburse start saving receipts book the room save the receipt get something to eat save that receipt taxi uh the hell out of there save that receipt uber breakfast in the morning save that receipt back to airport save receipt all throughout you're on the line with delta and get on the line with delta on hold or web chat waiting for a rep or whatever, and uh, get that scheduled. Just leave immediately. You'll get reimbursed. And I did not. I mean, I, I kind of handled the flight, uh, but I didn't need to stay there three hours. I could have been, by the time the flight was handled via web chat and the phone call, I could have been in a hotel bed, ready to go to sleep uh, with some receipts that I would then submit to uh, Delta Monday. And they got back to me that day and paid me. It was great. But don't stand in line and be miserable. No need for it. Use technology. It's out there. Um, they were very good about getting reimbursed. Better to hold, be on hold while they're sorting things out. While you're on your way to the hotel, you're at the hotel, you're eating. Doo -doo -doo, you're just saving that stuff because there's a form you fill out. Or even I got on the phone with a lady and she's like, just take pictures of the, of the receipts or if they have you, you have them in your phone and just email them directly to me and I'll know who they're from, and I didn't have to fill out a form. But I did not need to be there for three more hours than to find the hotel room I got was in Jersey because they give you a 250 max, even though mine was 275. They still still reimburse you. And so it was about 50 minutes there and 50 minutes back, very little sleep in between Jersey, from JFK to Jersey and back the next day. But no traffic either way. It was good to see JFK Airport to the Jersey route. I don't know that area. Most of us just know Manhattan unless we live in or around New York. But we went through Brooklyn, Staten Island, into Jersey. A lot more space than you think back there. Even upstate. Like, we flew to Buffalo last week and then drove to Niagara. A lot more space. 
a lot of green farm pasture stuff like that i didn't think i didn't the layout of new york and manhattan is so interesting the waterways how it became so strategic so early on in u.s history colin quinn has a new special out where he breaks down every race coming to new york over the centuries and it is so informative it doesn't even need to be funny it is but he covers Native Americans, of course, indigenous, to the whites, uh, the whites meaning the Dutch, the English, the Germans, up into Irish, Italians, Puerto Ricans, into Dominican Republic and Haiti in the 1970s, all the way. It's fascinating to me. Seinfeld directed, he produced. It's really interesting. I, I really like Colin Quinn. But I got to hang out in Jamaica, Queens for a bit, obviously. Uh, very interesting. I think that was once Archie Bunkerland. Was he Queens? But um, I'd love to see him there now, boy. He was complaining before. Amazed how you can get healthy drinks, pretty much raw healthy drinks in L.A. and New York in any neighborhood. No matter where you are, man. I tell you, several walking distance. Um, and I'm talking about juice drinks. I'm not talking about smoothies and yogurty, you know, orange Juliuses. I'm talking about raw, you know, carrot juice, uh, beet juice, uh, celery mixes that tastes good and they boy you pound those and you better find a bathroom because they are operating that the enzymes they break down so quick okay you got to be on your toes in all parts of new york there's no chill vibe like it is on the west coast even in la like late at night waiting for my uber at a crowded angry group uh you know everyone's wanting to get out of there cars are stacking up and it's like midnight one in the morning and people snap People snap, but it's not personal. It's really weird. It's like just a tough exterior. Fights will happen, but it's usually just go fuck yourself. Fuck you. Fuck you. And it's just this, like the fights and the shootings, those happen like in the suburbs, man. And uh, in places where people don't know how to just use their words or use their mouths or their body language. And then so it's like, I'm just going to go straight to a gun here. Um, all right. Weirdly, I don't do enough comedy stand-up comedy on the ships isn't that weird to think about you think you'd be performing so much but um i don't do enough stand-up comedy not that i want to do more but it's just that you you get sick of it and just a little enough that you don't what do i have here it's just enough oh it's just enough that you get sick of it performing and just little enough of it that you don't know if you're getting better because you're kind of doing the two sets, right? You're doing the two different sets, two different times each. I don't know how many people I explain this to. I swear to God, 10 people a week, I have to say. Two different 45-minute shows, twice a week. Because um, you have the nights off. And you can't really try new material in short sets for small crowds. Like, you have to work the new material into the sets that are already there. Um so you can't like do an open mic on the ship and be like, I wonder if this will work tomorrow. Let's try this. Oh, so that's kind of tricky. And you're the one guy, man. You're the one pe person on the ship that's not just doing standards, you know, old classic songs, uh, numbers, uh, you know, playful stuff for them to go, ooh, and ah. Like, it, it, it's great, baby. It's great. There are people, like I'm doing Norway to England here coming up, I think in a week or two probably a week and a half, two weeks. I, I, I don't foresee that going well. Like, I'm really going to have to rally around those shows, just meditate. But, like, um, I think this I think this cute joke could work about, like, whale watch. I have two, the whale watching and the shark joke. Um, the whale watch joke is that, like, in Alaska, you're on the cruise, and then you hit land, and then you go on a separate ship that takes you whale watching. Isn't any ship 
a whale watch? You know what I mean? Like you're you're at sea. Do the whales only? They're like, oh no no, only that wait. This isn't part of the whale watch. Don't give it to them for free. Like let's go over to that can't underwater canyon and make them see us there. Like if you see a whale but you're not on the whale watch, you're just on a regular ship. Do you close your eyes? You know what I mean? You're like, oh this isn't. We didn't pay for this. Like close your eyes. So that that's a joke I'll use. And then also, um, I saw some people. I saw a video of people helping a shark. It was uh, beached. And they were helping a shark into the water. It, that's such a weird conflict of interest. It's like, here's this thing that could kill us, but let's get it back in the water. Uh, and, and I just wonder, what's the turnaround time? I think it's funny to talk about the turnaround time on that. Like, is he, if, you, if, if they just got you put, if they saved your life and got you back in the water, go find another beach to feed off of, right? You got to leave them alone. You, you got to leave that beach alone for life. Unless you're an idiot that just gets beached every every beach and you're like i have no idea there's so many in my past but you've got to clear the air you're like all right you guys are good there's no like distance all right i'm gonna swim out 100 yards and come back in two hours no no you distance and time off the are off the table new beach entirely for you shark they just saved your ass that's a joke those are two jokes i'm gonna try those will be fun i think on a ship um and then i talk a lot about sharks how they go they they go back to swimming right after they eat and they would never make it at a barbecue in the summertime where your mom's like, you're not going to, you just ate, you have to wait 10 minutes before you go back in the pool. Sharks would never be able to go back in the pool. They'd get in so much trouble. What the fuck is that? Sorry, there's a bug. Okay. Um, weirdly, I don't, okay. So the jokes, you gotta, sometimes you do some cheesy jokes on the ship just to buy you a moment. Yeah, you're just trying to buy some time so you do a cheesy joke. Not even like 30 seconds, but like 7 to 10 seconds. That can get you through a moment. You'd be surprised. Um, at some point, I really should make this podcast about something. Look, it, cruise ships are great. Performing the gigs, the, the whole experience. How often can I do them? I mean, I would like to see Europe. I'd love to see the Mediterranean some. Um, some of the Middle East. Uh, you know, some of deeper Asia. You know, a few a few more here and there. But I tell you, man, if, if the goal is stand-up, then it's kind of like, mm, I don't know. So you just got to keep writing. Because if you keep writing and performing for people, then that's good. But if you get locked in on cruise ship sets and you're not writing and you're just drinking, that's trouble. Uh, so at some point I should make this podcast about something. I feel like I'm on the moon and just posting auto audio diaries oh, when I'm posting for the cruise ship. I'm in, I'm in Orange County right now. I leave tonight. It's Saturday. I'm leaving tonight. Uh, going to Orlando, Port Canaveral, getting on MSC Seaside. And uh, that'll be great. Uh, around the Bahamas or whatever. Uh, getting Oh, it's so funny getting text messages better. You pass Cuba. Like right when your phone lights up, your texts are really working. You know you're going past Cuba. It's so funny. It's like the one country that we don't have a relationship with and yet you can get five. It's just all backwards. Uh, I should make a run this year. What am I, what am I talking about? Okay. I should check to see if there's reviews or followers for this podcast. Okay. Lions are one and one. Now, when I wrote this, they were one and no, should have put down, I should have put down money on Colorado playing TCU. I didn't cause I knew they'd play them tight and they whipped up on them. TCU was in the final game last year in Colorado, went to their place and beat them. Um, 
a lot of that that is the first game jitters and first game hype i did win money on colorado versus colorado state colorado state covered against colorado last week i didn't touch it this week um the lions on the road so last year the lions closed out by beating green bay in aaron Rodgers' last game as a packer on the road knocked them out of the playoffs it was awesome they started this season on the road beating the chiefs dude the super bowl champion chiefs and then they lose at home to the Seahawks. So I was bummed. It's a long season. The Lions were good enough to make the playoffs last year, but that was two huge wins in a row versus two great quarterbacks on the road. So they should make a run this year. They did shit the bed and lost at home in overtime against the Seahawks. But they're not a bad team right now. The Seahawks aren't bad, and neither are the Lions. They should have won that game in a few different ways, but that's all right. Maybe they still had a little bit of a hangover. Uh, got a last-minute call last Thursday from spade to play niagara uh so we flew to buffalo via jfk and we got to see i got to see jfk twice in six days god that was insane played a casino up in niagara falls and it was just fantastic man fun full people love him room seated like 2500 it was great huge room they had a sports book so i won money on the niners the steelers colorado state uh and another one i'm blanking on i think the packers i took them to cover and they did barely Whenever I bet sports, I don't force it. I just look for anything glaring. Like if a team got blown out the week before and they have uh, a little something extra to play for, um, if the QB has a chip on his shoulder or the defensive coordinator, offense coordinator has a chip about the team he's playing, some you know intricate knowledge. Maybe he used to play or work for that team, hard feelings. Uh, how did that team do against them the last time? Okay, okay so for, for example, Jets-Patriots this weekend, New York boston just two cities that love each other belichick's 0-2 with the patriots right now i believe i don't see belichick going 0-3 uh especially against the jets who he's beaten a thousand times the spread is 2.5 uh did they win on a last second field goal by one or do they win on a last second field goal by three do they handle the jets by seven you know so that's tough the spread is tough but the patriots will win that game i believe the Broncos are underdogs to the Miami Dolphins. I don't see the Broncos going 0-3 either. They have Russell Wilson, Sean Payton. Glad this turned into a gambling podcast. Denver would be an amazing market to play in. I'd love, like, I just, man, every time I go there, it's like Pittsburgh. It's part city, part country, yet not the south, but it has a cowboy vibe and cold weather. Uh, this weekend is the Steelers' first visit to Las Vegas Raider Stadium. Allegiant? The spread is 1.5 or 2.5. I think the Raiders cover. It's, it's because it's the Steelers' first time there. Raiders, there's a history there, those two teams. Though they may mess it up, I don't know. The management with the Raiders is so bad, but the brand is so good that they still make a ton of money. They could go, not 0-16, but like they go 4-12 and every year and still, you know, the design, their logo, their colors, all that. The interim coach they had after Gruden got them to the playoffs that year. That was two seasons ago. Went toe-to-toe with the Bengals, who went to the Super Bowl that year and almost won it. They should have kept that coach. He had that underdog vibe, got them united, and it was uh, a bond, right? They had a chip on their shoulder, and he had that. After the season, he was let go. He wrote individual letters to each player, thanking them, letting them know they did a good job, and he appreciated them. Uh, Amazing. And then the Raiders, a coach, have the – Raiders, of course, don't have the balls to stay with that guy. They go, uh, they get a high expensive above the line, Josh McDaniels, who's great as a coordinator for the Patriots, and uh, I don't think they're going to do much, and it's not necessarily Josh McDaniels is doing. Mark Davis' haircut tells us all we need to know. Um, 
Okay, let's see. Where are we? Half. Someone said to me, you're so calm off stage, and when you get on, you're a different person. Like, there's this kind of uh, confidence, which does that mean I'm not confident in real life? Maybe just quiet, pensive. That was interesting. Comics vary. There's different types of confidence, and this might be all people. But with comedians, uh, there's different types. Louis C.K. mentions this at the beginning of one of his specials, I think his most recent special. He says there's different types of confidence. I really wish he'd done more time on that topic because he's so right. Uh, Spade is Spade, on and off. It's very nice. He's the same guy. He's fluid, man. Uh, a lot of guys who do impressions or characters are very opaque off stage, and they don't want to deal with people. You know, I worked for Daryl uh, Hammond, and that guy, he's locked in on stage, and then off, it's like, you know, get me back to hotel room, uh, doing whatever. Okay. But you, you'd be surprised how vulnerable and uncon unconfident people are. I'm not saying Daryl was, but just, uh, or uninterested, um, who can otherwise do incredible things. Now, I only know stand-ups, but... They can perform for thousands and then go home alone, not have people close to them, and they can be lonely, not know how to act around people at a party or whatever. Uh, I'm not talking about people who don't want to interact. I'm talking about people who can't or aren't confident with men or women, you know, romantically or relationshipally. But they're uh, amazing comics or actors or musicians or singers, you know, they're performers, etc. If a painter or sculptor isn't great with people, that's one thing. Right, they they do their work solo, and then they can go here it is, like it or don't, or a writer, you know. But if it's a singer, actor, or comic, you know, isn't social or comfortable with people, that's a whole another thing. Musicians a little different, right? You got the instrument, and you can kind of disconnect. But with an actor, comedian, comedian, or um, singer, there's people that don't want that interaction, which is kind of ironic. I'd love to be in a band and just play the instrument. Like I'd love like bass or second guitar. Is that a thing? Let someone else be the front man, but you're still on stage. You get some of the glory. You're getting your fill, performing. People see you, a little fame, a little notoriety, a little glory, but not, you know, you don't have to carry the load. Kind of the best of both worlds. Being the neighbor on a hit sitcom, the neighbor care, being Larry on uh, three's comp. Um, and sometimes, like, with this whole confidence thing, maybe I'm this way. You handle one of the scariest things with stand-up so that you don't have to do other scary things or uncomfortable things in life. You're like, that's, that's where I connect with people, and then I, the rest of my time on Earth gets to be with me, myself. I don't know how healthy it is. You should still be trying new things, right? Still challenging yourself. Plus, comics are blown away. Oh, a lot of comedians are blown away by what other people can do. I remember Michael Keaton was on Letterman and uh, kind of want to keep, keep to himself. He's got a place in Bozeman there. Great actor, comedic actor, dramatic actor. And he was talking to Letterman about being on a flight. And he's just like, oh, I'm dealing with this guy. You know, this guy's talking, talking. And he's about to put his headset on. And finally, the guy's like, oh, I'm a pilot. And I guess Michael Keaton's just blown away by pilots. And he's like, no way. So he threw all the questions at him that he normally gets. Um, for me, I am actually pilots and air traffic controllers for me. I mean, wow, what those people do. Getting you place to place so that we can have these livings and ho I don't know if it's the right thing, getting in jumbo jets and flying around the world. But uh, for now, it works for me and the responsibility is just crazy. 
another thing I'm blown away by, mother of four, getting them on a schedule, healthy, fed, transported in today's environment is insane with all the temptations, with all the traffic, with all the different people. You know, that cell phone in the hands of any of us is crazy. Sugar, it's cocaine, it's alcohol, it's video games, it's porn if you want. You know, it's not only in our hands, it's in the hands of 12 and 14-year-olds. So parents navigating all that is, is, is wild to me. So that's harder than stand-up for me. Extreme sports athletes blow me away. I don't know how you score that shit, and I, I, and I, but I think they're artists with their bodies. Like, it, it's, it's beyond, like, football, baseball, basketball, soccer, there's these rules. But on a bicycle or skateboard or skis, and you're just uh, doing incredible things. But, uh, oh, and the most impressive people to me in show business are stunt men, stunt women, you know, artists with their bodies, putting their body on the line, enduring. Um, the Fall Guy was a great show. Uh, the most impressive people, yeah, okay, so, so many actors, oh, yeah, there's so many actors and actresses, but only a few can be Newman, Nicholson, you know, Harrison Ford, Annette Benning, Susan Sarandon, Pam Greer, Glenn Close, Meryl Streep, who loved Fredo. They were lovers. John Cazal played Fredo, and uh, they were lovers, and she nursed him. You know, he had cancer in the late 70s there, and she nursed him to his death. Uh, and Pacino, those were three friends. Um, De Niro. My three favorites are Duval Hackman and Morgan Freeman to me. I just... I mean, those guys can play gangsters. They can play cowboys. Uh, but when those, when actors are respected by real working class people, that's impressive. When you get the Rough Riders to watch art and get their respect, that's that's really something. And you're not just, you know, you're doing it for other artists' sake. Uh, but I think the most insane thing I've ever seen and been impressed with in my life is Philippe Petit. Philippe Petit... Little Philip, is that, I don't know the translation. Uh, a French tightrope acrobat, I guess, would be the title. He's still alive. He's in his 70s. But Philippe Petit, a, 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 a funambulist. I don't know if the pronunciation's right. It can't be right. F-U-N-A-M-B-U-L-I-S-T. A funambulist. A funambulist? Um, someone that walks tightrope, you know. And this guy, on August 7th, 1974, I was almost two at the time. I should have been there. Um, he crossed uh, on a tightrope. He walked from the One World Trade Center building to another. This is a guy who, he can live to 110. He's in his 70s now. But that kind of mind and lack of inhibition, he's going to live a long time. Um, so he walked across this tightrope cord wire cable from the two world trade center buildings he he needed it multiple times so it wasn't one walk across it was like seven trips or 17 trips or something um if he can do that i can get on a red eye flight and suck it up the world trade center gave him a lifetime pass uh, oh he signed where he started crossing oh okay from the he signed it his he autographed it that's what okay that's the point. Can you imagine? That's the first step. I see why he signed there, because that's the threshold. If you sign like, oh, I'll sign over here. I'm going to sign over here where truth and life and death was so immediate and consuming. This, like, it, it, it's just my hands water thinking about what he did. That first step. Can you imagine? Um, now, he's natural, right? He's been doing this as a kid. He was an acrobat. He was doing, he was climbing on, like, telephone poles and stuff like that. Um, you know, in the 40s, 50s, whenever he was a kid. 
<coughs> it's not like he got into this at age 25 or 30. Um, okay, so he not only crossed this many times, but he had to put up the tightrope. He had to put up the cable without people in the towers knowing about it. Security, cops, employees. He had to sneak into both buildings or get a job at one of them and work all night and hide. And he had to make friends along the way because it took him a couple years to do this. And he had to make friends along the way who he could trust, who was going to help him, who was, um, you know, dependable. And I think they had to bow and arrow the tightrope from one building to the next. Because how else the hell are you going to get the cable over there? So he had to, like, do a cable with a lighter rope, attach that rope to the end of the heavier cable, and they had to pull it across. So you had two or three people on both buildings. And this is going over the course of all. So he's up all night doing this the day before the most taxing physical activity he'll ever have to do. Um, he had to go through all that and then do something impossible. It's mind-boggling. It's like, as a comic, if you had to, before going on stage, you had to invent electricity and the microphone and then go do comedy for people. So the comedy is not hard compared to this, I think. This topic deserves its own episode, by the way. So Jordan, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Robin from the Batman movie, he played him in a movie. He played Philip Petit. Uh, the movie's great, and there's a documentary about it, uh, Bird on a Wire or something that's fantastic. It's on Netflix. I Check it out. So uh, he goes back and forth between the building early in the morning, somewhere between like again, 8 and 17 times or something. It's like 7.30 in the morning to 9.15, right around that era. And the wind picks up, so he stops. He eventually is like, I'm going to stop because uh, the wind's getting heavy, which I would think the wind would be heavier in the morning. But he's made his point clear. Um, you know, uh, people have gathered down below to watch. I've read and watched a bunch of stuff on this. They've gathered down below to watch. He can hear people on the street. He's at the top of the World Trade Center. He can hear people gathering, talking, um, I don't know what he can see, like, looking down, you know, he, he's so, he's not focusing on the distance or all the visual stimuli around the city, he's focusing on his balance, and I don't know if you know if he's focusing on the cable or just trusting his feet, oh, dude, I'm getting, I'm sweating, just think about this, um, so he comes, people have gathered on below watch, he can hear people on the street, at one point, he lies down on his back on the cable, with the balancing beam, with the pole that he's holding. So he lies down kind of on his back oh, and like does a gesture. And at the end, he bows. I don't know if he's midway or at the end of one of them on one of the sides. He bows to the audience down below. He like, is it genuflect? He like does like a stage bow as he's leaving uh, the show, you know. And the cops are there at both sides telling him to stop, but also watching in amazement and not wanting to break his concentration. He finally returns to where he started. He gets off. And I think, from what I remember, the cops clapped. Uh, and the World Trade Center gave him a lifetime pass. Uh, it's just unbelievable, right? And you watch this and the focus and just the detachment from all the worries that, that we all have in our own lives. The cable that he walks on is heavy. It, it like sl it slumps down, and then it goes back up. It's not like he's walking on a pole. Like it's a heavy cable that he walks down, and then has to climb up a little bit of a um, a slope, an angle, an incline. The balance is hard enough, but having to go up would be even more brutal. Like partial climbing. 
so anyway, I think the most impressive thing I've seen in my life, because he couldn't fall or he's dead. Like Evil Knievel could fall because he didn't necessarily die. You know, he, he's on a motorcycle, it'd crash. There's no, he would only get so high on a motorcycle um, or a canyon, he almost died. But which means he never failed because living through those stunts was the challenge and he lived through them all. Um, but that Butte, Montana, beautiful lunatic. But yeah, Philippe Petit, he could have died doing that and it's just so horrifying but visually so pleasing all at the same time. To me, that's the most, I think, um, absolutely insane, impressive thing. I mean, you can talk about championships and titles and sports, um, but you know, you're on the field, you're, you're planning these things. Your life, unless it's football, I guess, your life isn't necessarily at risk. Um, you know, Peyton Manning was bred to throw a football. And he did, and it went great, and he was coached. And Kobe Bryant's dad was a professional basketball player. You know, I think that's why people love the Michael Jordans or the Magics or the Bird, because their, citizens, their parents were civilians, and these people came from civilians. Whereas Peyton Manning or Kobe or um, uh, Steph Curry... You know, they're kind of second generation, maybe riding some coattails there. It's not to say they didn't work, but it was a very clear path. If you work really hard, this will happen. Not everybody had that path. Philip Petit, I don't know if his dad was a famous gymnast that did this shit. Um, who knows, right? Who knows? They're all impressive. Every name I've mentioned in this episode is incredible Hall of Fame. All right, so this is the Keen on Things podcast. We're going to wrap it up. Keen of comedy on all social media platforms. I, I really should push that more. The book, the Patrick Keen collection, is available on Amazon. The album, which is online, Two and Two Before. Um, the special, which is on Dry Bar Comedy for like a dollar. Check those out. I feel like between plugging those and asking every classmate from 1987 to 1996 this past week for money, that that's all I'm doing. Ugh. But... Um, People are going to run for the hills when they see me coming from now on, which isn't a bad thing, maybe. But we did our annual fundraiser this week and just hit everyone. Um, and people really responded. Saturday, I was exhausted today, and I didn't know why. Oh, because I'm traveling multiple times a week. But uh, I did wake up the other night in the middle of the night in my apartment, and I was like, the water is so calm this evening, thinking I was at sea. But it was a great week for SM and reconnecting and reengaging with so many alumni, a ton of new people and asking more different people to donate and be involved and stay in touch and all this stuff, come back to tour, come back to talk to a class. You know, you need, it, it can't be blocky or it's like, oh, your kids, now you're all in college. Okay, now you're all in the workforce. It, it, there needs to be a flow and they need to see beyond the finish line. There is no finish line. They need to see results. They need to see what possibilities exist out there and they need to see the connection otherwise they're sitting there looking at their math homework going where does this, what am i doing where does this make me money and lead me to life um but we discussed our group discussed at lunch friday that the whole fundraising thing felt like a team heading into the playoffs with each donation an hour that passed more people would see oh a hundred dollars came in twenty five dollars came in so more alumni kind of are getting messages and updates and who haven't donated, and then they see, oh, looks like it's going to be a good run. People want to get involved. It's almost like they're fans. We talked about this. They're fans of a sports team that are like, ooh, they live in a city, and they're like, ooh, we're going to make the playoffs. I'm going to get a shirt. I'm going to get a hat. I'm going to get a ticket to the game. I'm going to go to that uh, that tailgate thing. I'm going to spend $30 because I don't want to be left out in the cold. I don't want to be the only one standing without a chair when the music stops. I think that line is from Clear and Present Danger, a great movie. Um 
But we compared it to that. Like, our team's going to the playoffs. Let's get a shirt. So people jumped in very last minute. They're still coming in. I'm getting email updates, which is just fantastic. Um, and they feel involved. And then they ask more questions. <clears throat> what can I do? How can I get involved? Come back to homecoming. Come back and be a part of whatever club or uni- uh, club or team or um, activity you did. Surf club, you know. Uh, football, theater, MUN, all that stuff. I think I just did an extra five minutes trying to sign off. Okay, homecoming is next up. Uh, then a reunion, then our gala, <coughs> then the holidays. Check out Webb's in Aliso Viejo. It's a new restaurant bar distillery at Seven Journey in Aliso Viejo, California. Easy to remember. Seven Journey, that's how many people have been in the band. Not sure. No, they've had six different lead singers. I looked that up. Uh, the band has countless people, though. But check Webb's out. It's fantastic food and booze, and uh, the ambiance is fantastic. He did a great job. And the biggest thing is he and two other people. There's three heavy hitters involved. And when you have three people that each know their lane, that are very talented, uh, it's going to work. I think you can do it two. He's got three. You know, He's got the business side. He's got the artistic side. <coughs> they have the drive, the interest. Uh, they have capital. And, uh, and they work well together. They know each other. They trust each other. And they've got a good little base. I'm excited for them. Uh, that's all for this week. I hit uh, Orlando tonight, tomorrow, I guess, tomorrow early morning. And then we hit the Bahamas. And I will be back next Sunday, Monday. So uh, thank you for your time on this. And uh, hopefully it goes somewhere and does something. Take care and do something new and different. Love you. <laughs>